That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, coming to you here on on what is frankly a very somber night. We're recording at uh, just after 10 p.m., having uh, waited for the Demar Hamlin news on the field in Cincinnati. Uh, it does not, uh, unfortunately, look good. Uh, our hopes and prayers go out to him to be sure. Uh, joining me to talk about the Ravens and Pittsburgh game from the defensive point of view of the Baltimore Ravens is Jim Zipko. Jim, how you doing? Good, Ken. How are you doing? Well, you know, shaken from this, as I'm sure you are. Uh, my yeah. recollection is that there was an on-field uh, death of a Lions player in 1972, uh, but it's been 50 years now, uh, and I have, I'm going to look that up right now. I remember uh, Corey Stringer, who I believe Chuck was in Hughes, the 90s, yes. but that was practice. Yeah, it was Chuck Hughes in 1971, and it was in a game against the Bears. Um, he uh he died and uh it was i don't remember if he made it to the uh to the hospital or not but a similar uh sad situation uh this is obviously a very violent game and uh, not one that uh uh you know should be taken lightly this is another reminder of how important player safety is uh and you know, the league has been very fortunate, frankly, that it's been 50 years without an on-field casualty. So we we had practice casualties. I'm thinking of Corey Stringer mm-hmm. in the in the 90s, and then in the college ranks, we had the the Maryland player uh, a few years ago who di- who collapsed and died during practice. Uh, it's um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, mm-hmm. and then there's the Pittsburgh Steeler who was um, paralyzed. Uh, Shazier. Yeah, Ryan Shazier. Uh, it is kind of a, a maybe a mild miracle that there aren't more ca- casualties like this. Um, 
you want to liken the sport, the question about the sport since the CTE revelations have come to light is whether it is an inherently destructive sport in the sense that all players are casualties to a certain extent, or whether it is just a, some people sometimes get hurt. It's an incidentally um, dangerous sport. Uh, and I don't know that we know that the answer to that yet. Right. And there's a lot of obviously philosophical things that probably border on the political that we really don't want to get into on a show like this in terms of whether or not people should be able to speed in cars or carry guns or that with the additional risk that comes from that, et cetera, et cetera. I I, I don't want to go into any of that tonight. This is is a somber moment in terms of what's going on with DeMar Hamlin. We wish certainly him the best. And uh, Jim, any other comment you'd like to make about it before we move on? Uh. It's startling to look at the replay. Uh, you know, you see, you watch every game and you see hits that look a ton more violent than that one. And, and for that hit to be the one that puts a guy in a critical care unit is, is kind of shocking. And you never really know, I think, what you're seeing and what the, what the players are experiencing when you're watching the game. Right. Yeah. Just uh, certainly makes you think. And uh, I think most of us are going to be thinking about this for the rest of the night. That's for certain. Uh, the game, of course, suspended, and uh, I think that's completely appropriate. Yeah. Uh, let's move on and talk a little bit about the Ravens' defense in this game. Uh, we uh, we need to do that. Uh, the Ravens, uh, at this point, obviously, in the playoffs, uh, there is complete up in the air in terms of when they will be playing the Bengals, if that will be for with anything significant on the line. And, frankly, that doesn't seem all that important right now, but uh, – uh, if next week uh, there is a reasonable chance that they'll be playing for the division <laughs> title. And if they um, are, there is some question as to when this game gets played. Right, right. So if if the Bills-Bengals game is resumed on Tuesday, then the NFL has to come to some kind of accommodation for when they schedule the Bengals' next game, uh, which maybe that could get pushed to Monday rather than Sunday. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a real possibility of that. And we'll think back to the Ravens COVID issues and mm-hmm. they actually had, you know, a game on a Wednesday forced a game to be pushed to a Tuesday, forced a game to be pushed to a Monday. And they had multiple teams cascading to play games on on short rest throughout that. And I would think that would be the way this would be handled by the league, that this would be end up being a Monday night game. Uh, probably could be a Monday day game too. Uh, you mean the, you mean Bengals Ravens? The Bengals Ravens. That's correct. That's right. correct. In, in a lot of ways, I think um, it 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 is a a thing that you know makes sense. Perhaps um, it, it will disadvantage the Ravens, but honestly, at this point, um, I, I'm uh, the events of tonight are just so shaking that it's, it's difficult to get by this. Um, I. I I think I mean, I think you you have to make I mean, emergencies create situations where accommodations need to be made. I mean, you go back to the uh, to the Ravens game that was pushed by. Was it Hurricane Katrina that that, that made the Ravens 2008? I don't know if it's Katrina, but it was 2008 hurricane. Yes. Sometimes you. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, you know, sometimes, you know, acts of God or whatever create situations where accommodations have to be made. And I think the Ravens might be disadvantaged by that. uh, And that's, you know, who cares? It's just what happens. It's not uh, I wouldn't blame the league for that. And and I wouldn't consider that, you know, an excuse for for not showing up or anything. You just uh, part of dealing with something like that is to absorb some consequences. Right. Absolutely. Um. Maybe we talk for a moment about the Ravens' own injury news. Uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, Campbell, Peters, uh, all out uh, again this week. Campbell and Peters certainly very much missed by the Ravens' defense in this game. Uh, Difficult game, obviously, in a lot of ways, but uh, the Ravens certainly missed uh, Calais Campbell in a big way in this game. Yeah, when you look at what the Steelers were able to do on the ground uh, with the game, uh, they are over, I think, five yards per carry for the game. Uh, 200 yards, if you exclude the two kneels uh, to end the, ha- the, the two halves by picket. Um, a 59% success rate on all their runs, which is very, very high for a team in a game. 39 rushes for 200 yards, if you exclude the kneels. Uh, and the Steelers were really able to control the game and the pace of play and the clock. Um, they kind of out Greg Roman to a certain, uh, to a certain extent. 
Yeah, very much looked like the 2019 Ravens running against the 2022 Ravens defense in a lot of ways. The uh, They had uh, all sorts of different types of schemed runs. They were very patient running behind blocks that were getting set up. Uh, they used a lot of power. The Steelers, by the way, and we're talking about the defense tonight, but the offense, uh, the Steelers extreme packaged the Ravens in the other direction with a bunch of four-man, four-down linemen formations. Uh, six across the line of scrimmage with four down and Watt and Highsmith on the end of that uh, that the Ravens have never seen before, not not during this uh, uh, run of of great runners and great running offense that they've had. And I, unfortunately, I think that the uh, uh, the Steelers may have given other teams a little bit of a blueprint on how to address the Ravens with, with Tyler Huntley anyway. Yeah, and it's probably – we've seen many fairly extreme reactions to – uh, the Ravens' rush offense since 2018, uh, or maybe the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going back to maybe Gus Bradley in the 20, uh, 2018 playoffs with the Chargers. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, interesting and different defensive packages, and this strikes me as maybe the most extreme adjustment to the Ravens that we've seen from any team. Yeah, extremely heavy, and and uh, they they did some things in this game that were really unusual. They took <laughs> linebackers off the field and replaced them with defensive linemen, which we see in the Ravens jumbo nickel concept. But they uh, uh, were doing things that were you know more unusual th- than normal. This is the heaviest I've seen anybody respond to the Ravens. You mentioned the Gus Bradley led Chargers. They went light. They went with seven went very light. backs to to, to try yeah. stuff, and they won that game at the line of scrimmage, nonetheless, with four guys basically bullying the Ravens offensive line in that game, including Bosa and Ingram on the ends. Uh, starkly different what the Steelers did with, with, frankly, other than Hayward, a bunch of very mediocre linemen uh, taking care of the Ravens offensive line in this game and making it difficult to get the multiple man-on-man blocks that they, that they needed to get to, uh, uh, to run their offense normally. Uh, and unfortunately, Tyler Huntley doesn't give you a lot of options. He doesn't. Uh, so I know that the, <laughs> I feel self-conscious that this is the defensive podcast and, and we're digging into this, uh, but but it's a topic that you can't resist, right? The uh, Collinsworth said on the broadcast that the Steelers went into the game with only three active defensive backs. Uh, could that possibly be true? No. No, okay. maybe three cornerbacks, maybe, maybe, maybe something like that. But they three defensive, three active defensive backs. No, I don't. I, I that's easily checkable from the uh, game book, and yeah. I, but I don't, I don't believe it's true anyway. So they had uh, Edmonds, Fitzpatrick, and Sutton were the starters on defense. But behind them, okay. they had Levi Wallace was active and Killebrew, and anybody else, Mallette, Riley. Pierre, the guy who has played for the Ravens before. So they had seven defensive backs, but they started okay. three. It's true. Okay. So that was just a personnel package then. Yeah. I, you know, the, the way to respond to that is to, um, is to spread them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, um, uh, were there any snaps that the Ravens had three wide receivers on the field? They've got Watkins, they've got Deshaun Jackson, and they've got Demarcus Robinson, who are all, you know, professional viable wide receivers. Um, and I don't remember seeing any, any okay. 11 packages on the field. I, I'll say this, the number of times they had four wide and that includes tight ends, of course, and it might include yeah. running backs in some of these cases. Right. And it's four or five, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They only had 14 times where they had, where they had make it 15 four or five wide during the game. I think they did have some 11. I think that Prochet was on the field for, for a snap that probably was with Jackson and somebody else, uh, probably Watkins. Uh, so I, I, I can't say that for sure, but I think that they, they had some 11 personnel. And I need to look that up uh, another thing because the Ravens last week played the heaviest um, set of packages in many years offensively. And uh, at least it's been a decade, I believe, since the last time and it was their heaviest of the season and then noticed on the on the by the numbers episode uh, uh my uh, my co-host dan reese i don't know why i can't think of his name all of a sudden um came to the point that that the ravens had the nine heaviest games this season 
And they've also yeah. been the heaviest team in decades. So it, 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 enough said that they're a point of attack offensive team. And they still did some things that really worked in terms of running the football in this game, even against, you know, a, a four down lineman uh, defenses that look, frankly, straight out of the early 1970s. Uh, they were able to still move the football at times, uh, which is something. But uh, but on the other hand, they uh, uh, they couldn't stop the. Steelers from doing basically the same thing, and they certainly didn't. Well, it, it's a trap. It's a trap, mm-hmm. right? So, so the Steelers come out in this very macho, very heavy mano a mano, and say you can't run against us. And Greg Roman says, "Oh yes, we can." And in fact, J.K. Dobbins has a, a, a five point five yards per carry with a fifty three percent success rate. The Ravens, as a team, were four point three yards per carry with a forty six percent success rate. That's pretty decent, but you have maybe fought the battle to a draw, let's say, but lost the war because the, the, you know, you, you, you attack an enemy where they're weak. And if they're, if the defense is putting a lot of heavies on the field, you spread them out, you know, those, the, the biggest guys that the Steelers have can't cover Isaiah likely and Mark Andrews. They can't cover Sammy Watkins. You know, they can't go that big and cover but you have to be willing to shift your mode of attack to take advantage of that weakness. And I think that, uh, you know, maybe that's a, a, a Tyler Huntley accommodation. Um, but for whatever reason, the Ravens were not able to shift gears. They, they fought the battle on the terms that the opponent dictated. They did okay at it, but lost the war. To, to be clear, they always should have to fight that on the terms that the opponent dictates, unless they're willing to go no huddle and have down a distance change things for them because the defense changes second in the NFL. That's the rule. Yeah. And, yeah. and so if, if the offense makes any personnel changes to try and derive a different type of advantage, like by putting more receivers on the field, and I know most of you folks out there know this, but some don't. And you know, the, the defense that actually play will be shut down by the official. You'll see the, the umpire or the referee. And I don't know who does it actually stand over the football, not allow the ball right. to be snapped. And right. there will be a, um, a time allotment for for uh, players to for defensive substitutions to be made subsequent to the offensive substitutions, and, and I, what that means is you can't necessarily get the matchup you want offensively. You have to make 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 use of what you have. So if if you're going to play a take what the other team gives you situation, you got to be willing to do what I think you're basically hinting at here is that the Ravens should really have gone to a play action game of some sort with Huntley that could really really have burned what the Steelers were trying to do. How much uh, do they trust Tyler Huntley to throw deep, operate a play action game, hang in the pocket? Uh, This is a rhetorical question. (laughs) Well, right. So the play calling and the eye test suggest not very much is the answer to that. Yeah. Um, Let's, let's move on because we're, we really need to get back to the, Get back to the defense here. <laughs> right. What unit um, are we talking is about? It, yeah, there you go. So we still no no David Ajabo in this game. Charlie Kolar took what could have been his spot uh, in a game against the Steelers. Frankly, this would not have been a great game to have Ajabo active because of the, you know, the need for an extra run defender was more than the need for an extra uh, pass rusher anyway. Right. Um, but it was, but it would have been a nice game to uh, uh, to see more of a job. Oh, it always would be. Charlie Kolar made his first appearance, played a few snaps. Um, I got to look and see actually how many snaps he ended up having on offense because he had two in the first half. I know that in the second half, uh, he finished actually with two for the game. Made a nice block on the 15 yard run, one of the 15 yard runs by Dobbins. Uh, so that was uh, you know something positive to come into the game from his perspective. Ajabo, people are complaining, of course, because they didn't think the Ravens' pass rush was particularly effective in this. I'm not sure I agree with that entirely. So they didn't get home, but they were able to flush Pickett out, Mm -hmm. you know, move him off of his set point, um, get him rolling. Uh, but he was able to make plays in those situations. So, so I don't know how to read that. You know, maybe an extra tenth of a second by a faster pass rusher maybe turned some of those into incompletes, or maybe the pass rush did its job and and the, the back breakdown was on the back end. I'm not sure what your take would be on what we saw. A couple things happened. The Ravens are fairly effective at flushing picket left. I, is is one of the things I noticed, and that typically is death for a right-handed quarterback. It's it's just yeah, you, you can't throw out of that. So you you uh, but he was very effective. 
at, at when he moved left, he still threw some good balls. And that's that's frustrating, not only for this game, but for the future of who Kenny Pickett is as a Steelers quarterback, if he can do that. Yeah, this was my first indication that Pickett could actually turn into a problem for the Ravens-Steelers rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you and I talked in the production meeting how it's difficult to really ascribe this loss to the offense or the defense this week. The, the, the defense certainly had problems stopping the run, and we're going to talk about that in some detail next next up here. But the offense didn't do them any favors. They From 931 in the third quarter, the Ravens got the football, and they ran 10 offensive snaps over their next three drives, while over the next three drives, including the game-winning touchdown drive, the Steelers ran 28. You can't be outsnapped by that and hope to have a defense remain fresh. And right. so that was, you know, a significant problem down down the stretch there for the uh, for the Ravens of this one. Yeah. So I think that listeners are going to hear us go that it's say that it's hard to fully ascribe the loss to either side of the ball and react like kind of incredulously. The 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 Ravens scored only 13 points. They couldn't get a first down over the period of time that you're describing. Uh, how is it not squarely an offensive failure in this game? And I think there's a lot of validity to that. Uh, however, there is a flip side, which is that the Ravens defense allowed the Steelers um, rushing offense to control the game, really the whole game. Uh, and if you look at some of the uh, drives that were stopped early, uh, I'm not sure that you would give a lot of credit to the defense. So, for example, the Steelers' first drive that wound up in a field goal, um, the Steelers got down to first and goal at the seven. And so you want to reflexively say, oh, well, that's good red zone defense to come out of that having given up only a field goal. But I don't know that we would say that the the defense stopped the Steelers or that the Steelers stopped themselves. They, they threw two incomplete passes. The only rush was... Um, uh, Najee Harris got five yards. You got to think that if the Steelers had handed off all three times, that ball would have wound up in the end zone. It was actually uh, first and goal at the two, and then they had a first down, a foul start penalty. So they oh, get right. to themselves in some ways on, on that thing. I think you're you're pointing out good things here. Uh, yeah, they they certainly the Ravens did a pretty good job covering in the end zone on some plays. Pickett was fairly accurate on the day. He didn't throw a lot of balls away, but one of the balls he threw away was in the end zone, uh, and it was not early in the game. It was later. Uh, remember the celebration by Stevens going on in the mm-hmm. back of the end zone when the ball was thrown wide to the receiver, the receiver looked completely open to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's not a play where you're, if you're Stevens, you want to, you basically want to slink away from that play, but he was, he seemed right. awfully happy about what had happened on there. He had right. another good play in the other corner of the end zone where he knocked it away. But, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, so, such is the way of this. Um, in terms of the defense in general, I think it's very hard to find individual performances that are not – because there's almost none that don't have some warts attached to them. With a poor run defense, basically I, – I, No, go ahead, please. I, I was just going to say there's very few players. I can really only only think of one whose name wasn't really mentioned in a bad way the entire night, but is but other, yeah, including on being blocked on the run plays. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. Okay. So uh, just to maybe continue this down, what I did in the article, and I encourage people to go out there and take a look, is to is to chart out the 15 run plays the Steelers had of six-plus yards. Think about that for a second, guys. 15 run plays of six-plus yards in one football game. You're not going to win very many of those games. That's 90 yards minimum accounted for there, and you know a lot of them didn't go for exactly six yards. Right. So – Obviously not a not a good game, but it, the, the article what it tries to do is is understand what the key blocks were on each of those plays. Not necessarily exactly if if somebody messed up for another reason and Kyle Hamilton slipped on a play where the Ravens really had numbers on that side of the field. Um, there there was a missed tackle or two, but honestly, missed tackles were not the problem in this game. They did a really good job of tackling in this game, particularly against the run, and and most of the issue was on. The Steelers effectively making their blocks at the line of scrimmage in the middle, Harris and Warren being effective, Warren being very effective on the outside running jet motion, them making effective use of Pony, 
And, and, and basically, they attacked the Ravens wherever they were weak very effectively, and it looked like almost a Greg Roman-schemed <laughs> run team doing a very effective job at doing what they liked to do to an opponent. What is Pony? Pony is two running backs on the field at the same time. So what they did a lot was have Warren split wide where the Ravens would normally use Ricard in that position as a fullback. Yeah. And then motion him through the backfield for a potential handoff, jet motion. And sometimes he would get that handoff, and, and they were very successful running outside with him doing that. And sometimes he wouldn't, and that would create a play for somebody else. Most notice, most notably Harris, but it could be a pass as well. So they had a you know a lot of good opportunities, and and they continually. I think one thing we would say is they stayed ahead of the stayed on on um, schedule with down and distance, right ahead of the chains. Game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Lots of uh, third and shorts on in this game. So it's it's uh, unusual to see the Ravens get pushed around in the interior so consistently. And it's unusual to think of the Steelers' offensive line as being capable of that because it's not exactly a lauded group that mm-hmm. the Steelers have. Um, I know that Calais Campbell was out. Uh, are there any other absences that that would be critical to understanding that? Or did the Steelers Michael just Pierce. play their asses off? Pierce. I mean, Michael Pierce would have made all the difference in the world in a game like this. In fact, you might even say he would be a bigger loss than Campbell because of what he can do to disrupt an offensive line, to hold the point of attack. They were just Steelers are very effective at getting their double teams set up properly, pushing their guys a yard or two into level two, getting broken off in you know on these combination blocks to also go up and meet a linebacker, and you know that meant three yards, four yards, sometimes five yards before initial contact was made. And then another big factor of this is when Najee Harris is making contact in level two, he was trucking people. So Clark made a lot of tackles in this game, but he got driven back a lot. Queen made some tackles in this game. He did miss one, uh, maybe two, depending on how you want to count it. But uh, but he got trucked a lot in this game. So they had a lot of trouble bringing down the ball carrier. Uh, and Najee Harris, frankly, looked a lot like Gus Edwards in this game. He looked a lot like Jamal Lewis in this game. <laughs> yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so uh, he's what six one two thirty officially. Lewis Lewis was five eleven two forty. So you know a a, uh, a little more of a of a fire plug, but certainly had the had the very heavy feet. What we saw, I think, from Harris was a lot of early career Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, obviously the Ravens didn't have much left when they got Le'Veon Bell. Neither did the Jets. They didn't get much out of him. But Le'Veon Bell, early career, very patient guy. Wait for the hole. Wait for the hole. Wait for the hole. And his linemen would eventually, you know, execute their blocks and 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 create opportunities for him. And that's what I think I saw from Harris in this game. It was a uh, Collinsworth made a point of distinguishing between the Steelers zone heavy rushing attack uh, versus the Ravens kind of gap heavy scheme mm-hmm. uh, and how the zone running really opens um by now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. It opens holes uh, that are not um, side-to-side holes, but holes in depth kind of between linemen where mm-hmm. there are gaps to shoot sideways through 
Uh, and Harris just showed really great vision and then just great power once he got there. Now, I, I mean, all of that waiting for a cutback lane is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the Le'Veon Bell strategy. You know, your patience to, 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 you know, find that whole cutback to it and then cut back decisively when you do, uh, mm-hmm. which is, it's almost always, you know, very apparent where that hole is, I guess I'd say. Uh, and you got to give the Steelers offensive line credit. They're, they're, they're not a, uh, you know, a, a top flight group, but, you know, players like the right guard, Daniels, Okora four, Cole Dotson, and uh, even more, the left tackle all made some <laughs> good blocks in this game and all, all kept the, kept the running game going. So uh, that was, uh, it was an unfortunate set of circumstances. I, what I wanted to get back to in the, in the, in the place I charted out was I looked at all the big blocks. And one of the things that shows up is just everybody is getting blocked. So Matabike had the most mentions among those 15 plays was seven times. He's a key block is being executed against him. Yeah. Okay. But everybody's got a bunch of them. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people have uh, four or five or six or seven in the game. And I, I, I point people to the article rather than to have me you know go over this. The two guys who didn't really show up much in there, uh, Rayshad Nichols, who didn't play a lot of snaps, but he played enough, I think 15 snaps, and 11 of those were runs, if I recall, and I'm going to confirm that right here. It looks like maybe 14 runs out of 15 snaps for Rayshad Nichols. And he had four tackles in, in that little bit, including a nice tackle for, I think, one yard assist on his very first NFL snap, which was at least a nice night for him in terms of something to remember and something something about this game. Football Outsiders has a stat uh, for defenders called defeats. Mm-hmm. And what it's the inverse of success rate, right? So traditional success rate would be, uh, you know, play that gains four yards on, on first and 10 or 60% of the remaining yards on second yep. down or all of it on third and fourth down. So the flip side of that would, would be plays that do not achieve those uh, milestones Defense and wins. who the primary... Right. And who the primary defender is on those players. So the, you know, a pass defense or, or a tackle short of the line or, or something like that. Uh, so I, I went through the play by play and tried to chart some defeat or list the defeats and Rashad Nichols, according to, you know, if you include assists, assisted tackles, not solos, he had three defeats in the game, which is uh, pretty good for 15 snaps. Yeah, that, that's terrific. You you certainly would uh, take that. In fact, a lot of linemen, that would be a pretty good number for an entire game because linemen don't get involved in a lot of tackles, not like linebackers do. Uh, so you, right. one, one thing one thing you do want to look at is how your linebackers are doing that kind of stats. And if you go through this game, I think you'd find that uh, Roquan Smith does not have the, the, the large number of tackles uh, within the football outsider's definition. I'll try and give you the number here. Uh, let's see. And he had a lot of tackles, so it would be unusual for he had zero. Despite nine tackles, zero of them were defensive wins. Right. That is terrible. <clears throat> yep. All right. Uh, and that does not mean, just to clarify that, that does not mean that he was playing badly. It means that the the runner was getting there, you know, that deep, right? So so um see so I mean, you, you phrase that and it sounds as though Roquan Smith got pushed back five yards every play. And I wouldn't say that that is what that stat means. No, could be the line. Rather that the, right, yeah. the line was getting the push. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I think in this game, that was probably the case uh, more so. I, I, I don't think Roquan had a terrible game or anything. And I'm also looking at the stop number on PFF, which I don't... I don't know if it used to be used the same exact method as football outsiders, but I don't know if it does anymore. Mm-hmm. So it might be something slightly different now. So we got to be a little bit careful with that. Right. Um, but, but anyway, cause they've got, they've got nickels for only one here. And if you've looked it up and you've, you, you've done them by hand then I, I would think it's very likely you're correct that the nickels runs are, are you have the win total correct at three or four, right? Well, maybe not though, because there are some where the tackle was made by, for example, Brent Urban and Rashad Nichols. Oh, okay. And so his, his one might be correct if they're only doing solos. And that's probably what they do. Yeah. It's almost certainly what they do. So if it, if, if that is true, then Nichols with his, yeah, had three assists and only one, Thing. So his assist for a, a, a gain of one wouldn't count. Then he's got a first and 10 where there's a five-yard gain where it's a solo. That shouldn't count. 
No. Nope. And he's got a one-yard stop as an assist on second and five. That would count. See, and I'm then, more generous. I, I gave him the assists. I figured he got there. Yeah. <laughs> By all means. And so I, I actually right. I had Chuck Clark with five defeats on the game and Broderick Washington with four. So by that you mean you mean five five defensive wins for Clark. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And four for Broderick Washington. Okay. Washington was certainly one of the guys who had a big difficulty in the run game, generally speaking. Uh he's he's getting blocked a lot and and giving ground, but I I I certainly trust your accounting for it and I, I trust your yeah. your eyes as well for telling you that your brother Washington had a fairly good game well I mean relative right yeah. <laughs> I mean the, the defense was getting trampled Broderick Washington made some tackles warts all over there you go um if, if you look at the past defense the Ravens played in this game I think it's fair to say they played pretty well for most of the game 5.3 yards per play allowed um but the pass rush gave up some ample time and space at some key times. And it seemed to be extremely frustrating that Pickett had a lot of time to throw. That said, many of the, of the ATS, four of them, in fact, came on that final touchdown drive, including both of the um, long plays, the 20 and 28 yard play. Are your, is your, is your uh, evaluation there that at that point in the game, the way the Ravens had failed to generate any first downs or, or keep any possession at all, any defense on earth would have been gassed at that point. A pass, it's especially difficult for a pass rush to maintain freshness in the fourth quarter and when they when they played a lot of plays or a lot of consecutive plays there. Yeah. So, uh, it, yes, that that would be uh, that would be generally a problem. And the Ravens were going exclusively with a four man rush at that point. They weren't trying to do anything tricky at all. In fact, they really tried very little in the way of trickery the entire game, which we need to get into. But uh, this was a this was a you know obviously a very difficult finish for the Ravens and and one where the pass defense had been very good the entire game and it was worse on that uh, on that touchdown drive they gave up a third and eight touchdown obviously that was one big thing but they gave up two other plays that were both first and 10 plays for 20 and 28 yards um frankly the 28 yard play i think it is yeah that's the one so there was a defensive hold called on hamilton that had to be on the wrong player because Hamilton makes absolutely no contact with the, with the receiver. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you saw it from the, from the, from the backside, but there's literally no contact between Hamilton and the receiver. Hamilton nearly comes up with an unbelievable play, but the ball was just so well thrown. You're never going to stop it. And, and I, I don't know how you would grade that play as being a particular severe downgrade for Hamilton, but it was just, it was, it was, you got to at some point. You just got to tip your hand to the Steelers in this game and say, "Pick it through a great ball there." Yeah, he threw a couple of great balls. The touchdown to Najee Harris was impeccably yep. placed. Yep, very, very true. It was very well placed. You know what that reminded me of was the play Huntley had to Drake to set up the game-winning score against Denver. It was mm. it was a little floater. It was in the middle of several defenders, and Drake was the only one who could get there. He did. Then he made a play after the catch and got down to the two-yard line, the Ravens ended up scoring. But very similar kind of a um, – seems like it was thrown in a not-great place it, it, it was it, or, or to the not-great receiver, and it might have brought up fourth down in that situation and given the Ravens a chance to you know, win the game. And that was a play where Pickett was flushed to his left, yep. a right-handed quarterback flushed to his left. I mean, you, you, the advantage is all with the defense there, and he just made a great play. <laughs> it's hard to be other than listless and depressed talking about this. Yeah. I'm listening to, like, our tone of voice, you know, your tone of voice, my tone of voice is just, yeah, Pickett made a great play. He did. Well, that's, you know, I, I played in pool leagues for a number of years, probably for 10, 15 years when I was younger. And one of the big things that you always run into is macho guys who all say, uh, you played okay, but I really played like crap. That's why I lost to you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just run into that all the time. Yeah. And, and, and that's our tendency as sports fans to want to believe that is just so great that, that uh, you know, it's, it's always going to be about our players and not about the opponent. Well, I mean, in some cases, it's about our players because there really is not enough talent on the Ravens offense right now yeah. to have enough options to win the game. And, and it, with Huntley in particular, I believe that's true. He's, he honestly cannot be, in my opinion, a backup option for Lamar next year or for I anybody. Yeah. 
Um, but but it, but then he'd be a decent quarterback number three. Where you have him on the practice squad, you bring him up when you need him. Yeah, you know, For emergency sure. replacement. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't spend a, a game day activation on a player like that when the Ravens are are so deep they're keeping Ojabo and Kolar out alternately at week to week kind of thing. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I agree with I agree with the statement. So, uh, I'm sorry, what, what, were we, what were we talking just about? Yeah, so well, you're so talking, like, you're saying you're, you're talking about how fans don't like to give credit to the opposing team for making a right. good play, and 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 that's what I think. What this really comes down to is that the the Ravens got outplayed. <laughs> They got out physical in this game on the ground, really on both sides of the ball. That they did a pretty good job scheme-wise on offense. We'll talk about that tomorrow night. Overcoming difficulties. Uh, hey, Jim, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm picking here. up a lot of background noise. I don't know if you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I did something while yeah. you were talking. I, I made right. that noise. Sorry about that. Uh, so anyway, I, I I think we need to be careful to give the uh, Steelers the proper amount of credit. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of what they did well, and they got to they got to third and short a lot in this game, and I just want to yep. we'll go through this really quickly here. But this is not the kind of set of downs which is going to get you off the field. They had third and one, third and two, third and one, third and two, third and three, third and five, third and three. This is every third down in the first half, by the way. I just named right there. In the second wow. half, they had third and fourteen, third and four, third and four, third and four, third and ten, third and eighteen. Third and one, third and one, third and eight. The third and eight, of course, being the touchdown. The third and one, they converted both of those on that final drive. Uh, that is not the kind of set of third downs the Ravens need if they're going to get their normal percentage of third down stops that they've been getting this season. No, it's not an advantageous down and distance for the defense. It's very much the opposite. It's an offensive. It's 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 a great situation for the offense. Not. It sounded to me when you rattled off the first half third downs it sounded to me like not a single one of them was more than four yards uh that's correct there might have been one third and five but uh, but it was it was all shorties yes uh and for the game only two or maybe three times in double digits on third down yeah they had a third and 14 that they gave up on the on the incredible pass to pickens was a problem and then they had a third and 18 where they got them off the field and they had a third and 10 i think they got them off the field on that one as well but uh, but yeah, it was very yeah. Third and ten, third and eighteen, they stopped them. And third and fourteen, they gave up the the pass to Pickens where he leapt up high over the middle. Another one, I I don't know how you know you you can you can blame Hamilton too much on that one, but it was what it was. Uh, what do we want to say? The red zone success continued for the Ravens. One out of three in this game, six of the last twenty-two. That's twenty-seven point three percent. Just want to give you a comparison here. Buffalo is at forty-four point four percent for the season. They lead the NFL. So 27.3%. I don't know whether that's over six weeks, seven weeks, exactly how long it's been, but it's over their last 22 uh, red zone opportunities. They've only allowed six touchdowns. And now for the season, they're second in the NFL at 47%. So as bad as the Ravens offense has been punching it in, the, the Ravens defense has been equally good keeping the other team out. It's uh, I, I said in a column a few weeks ago that it's it's almost like dialing back to the 2018 style of play. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So you uh, very light on the passes, heavy on the runs, lots of quarterback runs. Um, that's it. obviously they don't have the quarterback anymore that engenders the sort of fear they need that makes all eleven offensive players better. So they're really right. lacking that critical and, mass, and not the arm to punish deep. You know, on some kind of double move, play action, kind of you know to to keep defenders to keep a couple of defenders at least twenty yards off the line of scrimmage. Uh, Huntley doesn't have the arm to scare anybody. Yeah, completely agree. You know, it's one of the things with Brown they've at least seen. And I think Brown is capable of making a lot of mistakes in the pocket. The limited amount we've seen of Brown tells me he has very limited pocket awareness. But uh, Brown did display in the preseason a, a fairly accurate deep arm that I think uh, would be an interesting contrast to what Huntley brings to the table. So if it's uh, if it's Brown at some point and maybe – Maybe if the game means nothing next week, other than a little bit of seeding, which I'm not sure really matters to the Ravens, maybe you get Brown in there and you give him the start. You know, Huntley's had obviously issues with concussions already. You don't want to take any risk with him going into the playoffs would be the word. You'd have him as the backup or you'd have Lamar as the backup if, if, if a situation would even allow for that. 
you, you put Brown in the game as your starter and you, you work through that. And I don't think it matters that much whether you go to Kansas City, Buffalo, or Cincinnati for that first round of the playoffs. I think it's going to be a difficult matchup anywhere. Uh, what would you think? First of all, what would you think about the QB strategy? Um, I have two wildly divergent thoughts. And the first is that I would kind of like to see that. I, I like Anthony Brown. I liked what I saw of him in preseason. Uh, I liked a little bit of his uh, appearances that we've seen this season during the regular season. He's clearly not ready, uh, but you know he needs some experience to get ready. I, I like him as a guy with uh, more upside than Huntley. So that's number one. Number two, I I think that the uh, the Raven Stadium is more likely to take off and fly to London than John Harbaugh to start Anthony Brown next week. Mm -hmm. I think that he is um, Harbaugh's, uh, I'm going to call it conservatism, uh, is such that at this time of year, the number three quarterback undrafted free agent is not going to take snaps over Tyler Huntley or Lamar uh, in, in this situation. I would love to see him get in a game, but I, I just can't see this organization doing that. Um, the the potential gain is too low, right? Like they're going to go into the season with the, into the postseason with the guys who brung them, and we're only going to see Anthony Brown in an emergency situation. Is is my impression. I think that's possible, but when we see the Steelers line up and give a blueprint on how to stop the Ravens run game in this game, not that they, they didn't stop it exceptionally well, but how to basically stop the Ravens offense in general is line up and get really big with them. Uh, and, and Huntley absolutely cannot take advantage of that situation. I think you probably have to try the next guy. Uh, the other thing I'm really concerned about, and I'm not sure how much of a how much of a deal this is with Brown, is Huntley has zero elusiveness going into level two, which is going to lead to big hits or a, a sliding quarterback, one or the other. And and neither of them are something the Ravens can really afford to have. I'm shocked at how much of a straight ahead run into the defender mm -hmm. runner Huntley is. You know, just bam, straight into the defender. Yeah, it's it's obviously not been. Uh, what the Ravens had uh, had hoped for. I want to talk a little bit about defensive packages at the end of here. This this mm -hmm. first segment, uh, one of the few few things happened in this uh, in this. There was some form of big nickel on the field for fifty four of the sixty eight snaps. So all of those had Hamilton at slot corner. There's no more the notion that he's some sort of a matchup player on tight ends. BS. Anybody tries to tell you that he is a pure. He's purely being used as a slot corner at this point. He's not being backed off to deep safety. He's there's, there's nothing happening otherwise to do that. They rush the passer with him, sure, but you do that with any slot corner. Um, so he's in there. And because they had 54 of 68 with, with uh, him in as the nickel, um, the Steelers were fairly happy to go after him some. And my impression of this game from the review I had was that, that Hamilton did a good job defending receivers and – there were some fantastic throws made against him, in particular the the 28-yard throw uh, by Pickett, which is probably his best throw in the night. Yeah, so, you, I mean, you don't want to – you have the opposing offense generating some success against him, but not because of, like, poor technique or he wasn't mm -hmm. athletic or in the right position or anything like that. They just made a great play. Yeah. They really did not go after Humphrey much all night, and they went after Stevens a fair amount, and I thought Stevens held up reasonably well to it. Not great, not perfect. He was soft a few times, but but generally speaking, I thought he was pretty good. Uh, I also I felt the same way. I was actually kind of impressed with how well he competed. You know, I didn't expect a shutdown performance from him, uh, and I thought he really showed up. Do you, would you? Does that make you want to go in any different direction in the playoffs? Um, if if let's say Peters is back, Peters is going to go back to left cornerback because that's where he's played the whole year, and I think that's the shoulder he wants to play over in terms of, of his comfort mm -hmm. and his ability to break on the football and whatnot. And so you can, you have two choices on the right side. You can play Stevens on the outside on the right and move Humphrey to the slot, or you could play Humphrey on the outside on the right and stay with Hamilton in the slot. Which do you, which would you do based on what we've seen so far from Stevens? I would play Humphrey on the right and um, Hamilton in the slot. 
and use Stevens as the uh, the third outside corner. Okay, so fourth corner, third outside corner. He might have to come yeah. in in four wide receiver situations. It really will exactly. behoove the Ravens anyway to have four defensive backs they think can cover a little bit just to have somebody else on the field they can – to face 10 personnel if, if anybody right. gets really sharp to other ways to beat the Ravens' <laughs> defense. Right, and then the uh, alter, you know, the additionally, you're not necessarily sure how many snaps you're going to get from Peters. But one of the other points I, I I made earlier, I was going to either bring this up at the end or we'll talk about it right now, is that I'm not sure it matters where the Ravens play in the postseason. I think actually they might really love going to Buffalo for a potential snow game. I think that would really benefit this team as currently constituted. I was thinking the exact same thing. For one, they've seen Buffalo. Uh, they've they've got to be eager for some revenge against that team and this you know if if we have a similar situation as the last Ravens playoff game in Buffalo where the weather conditions made throwing the ball difficult for both quarterbacks you know Josh Allen wasn't exactly lighting up the the skies that night then I think the Ravens team as constructed is actually in a pretty decent position to move the ball in that situation and in those kind of conditions. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if you can if you can run the ball for four yards a carry against Pittsburgh in a game like this, where they're lining up four defensive linemen and two outside linebackers, play after play after play against you, then I, I don't think there's any reason to believe you couldn't move the ball on a very focused Buffalo defense, even in the snow. And in particular, mm-hmm. if they've got Lamar Jackson back and they have a yes. little bit of you know fluidity and variability to the offense that's afforded to them via that, I think you know then Roman's scheme becomes even more valuable under those circumstances. And I know a lot of people, you know, don't like the Roman offense. No problem. I, I, I can understand. I think he's probably done after this year, just because I don't believe that Harbaugh is willing to push all in on chips in the pot in terms of keeping Greg Roman around, but you've got to at least respect the fact that the guy calls an unbelievably effective run game offense. Okay. And he's been very, he's been very limited in terms of what he's got this year. And he's, and he's also failed to adjust to the proper run pass balance at times. But when he calls or calls run plays, the, the scheme that the Ravens have in the run is one of their big, big assets still. Yeah, I think that's undeniable. Um, I think that, uh, so I'm actually a, a, a Roman supporter, which I think is a, uh, a, a minority position, certainly on Twitter these days. But I, I think that, if you have to have a team that doesn't have any wide receivers, there's no coach on the planet that you'd rather have than, than Greg Roman at the professional sure. level. Um, I don't think that this is the personnel or the, you know, the talent that the dispersal that they would have chosen, you know, I mean, this is a different offense with Lamar and Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay on the field. Uh, but that's, you know, that's that's injuries and that's personnel decisions, which is not Greg Roman's responsibility. Uh, and, you know, just my my last thing in defense of Greg Roman, I think, is that if you look at the first four games of the season, which is when Rashad Bateman was available as a starter, they were lighting up the scoreboard. They were one of the highest scoring teams in the league. Um, and then we've had a series of adjustments since then. Uh, I think that Roman has done a decent to excellent job with some caveats. Uh, and I think that he would be a fine choice. You know, if, if I had one guy to call a game with this roster going into Buffalo, this, you know, great point. I'm basically agreeing with what you're saying. Yeah. Great, great, great point on the, on the, on the, with this roster. I, I, I'm, I'm not a hater the way that it seems to be, but right now everything about this Ravens fan base is far too extreme for words. And this is, yeah. there's several things going on. First of all, if you look at the Ravens run defense in this game, if you think you can truly ascribe every single part about what went wrong in that Ravens run defense, come on to me. We'll have a little pot about it because, you know, I, even in looking through every single one of these big plays, it's a whole freaking boatload of things that are going wrong. But mostly it's the Steelers playing extremely well and getting the good blocks. And that's the harder thing to admit as a fan, I believe, in the pool player league background, you know, theory is that everybody wants it to be a function of their own players on this in this case it was just a function of they had a little bit better scheme offensively they were able to execute it very effectively 
And to, to the degree, Jim, we're getting up some background noise again. Yeah, um, sorry. To the degree that that we're we're uh, uh, you, you know seeing that happen, we've got to give the proper credit to the Steelers in this case, and not not pretend like this is all about the Ravens. On the other side of the ball, in terms of of the offense effectively running the football, well. There's a whole lot of things about that that are very confused. First of all, the Ravens did run the ball very effectively for the defenses that the Steelers made. Could they have done more with it by getting better plays in the game or testing through the air, the Steelers? I I thought so at the stadium. I, I was saying, you know, if they're going to play four down linemen every play, you have to pass the ball. But right. it's not the kind of thing that I can scream about too loudly because Tyler Huntley is, is a – Force demultiplier, a force factor, <laughs> a so, force divider. Yes, there you go. I, that's exactly that's the proper thing. So, so I, I can't, um, you know, I can't ask for a lot more passes in a game where the Ravens don't really have an option to do that. They, they, they did some things to effectively get Mark Andrews open this game. I thought was one of the really nice things that came out of it. They had got nine, nine out of nine balls thrown successfully to Mark Andrews. But I, in watching the game when I got home and hearing Collinsworth talk about it, he says. Huntley's really a first read guy, first read and then run. And and he's right on the money on that. There's not a lot isn't, of <laughs> Isn't that a tremendously damning thing? Yes. <laughs> wow. Uh I've never heard so so when that phrase is used to describe a quarterback, it's extremely disparaging. It it was the primary criticism leveled at Lamar after the 2018 season and and maybe even just as late as 2020 I've heard people say that that about Lamar it's completely fictitious about Lamar mm-hmm. I've never seen a play-by-play or a, an analyst kind of show us in you know the the, the 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 quarterback's head not moving and actually saying as if this is a process well he's the kind of guy who takes looks at one guy and then runs like that's a bad thing yeah that's not that's not a strength of his or a stylistic choice that's that's incompetence. It's a, it's a lack of processing, and it's something that if if Huntley is going to ever play, I don't think it's going to be with the Ravens, but if he is ever going to be effective at the NFL level, he's going to have to go to quarterback school in the offseason and and fix those kind of things, show the same kind of uh, commitment to himself, the investment in himself that Lamar had after 2018 to go to a quarterback guru and move his game to another level. Now, Lamar already was better than Tyler Huntley is right now yep. in terms of yep. what he what he could do, but uh, you know it's, it's troublesome. The other thing is Lamar – by getting himself out of difficulty and with the awareness he eyes, I mean, because it really seems like he could see 360 degrees in terms of the hits he takes around the pocket. He's he's much more likely to be able to get out of trouble than have a second read of the field where he gets an extended play opportunity. So he becomes a two read quarterback that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Huntley, I, I, it's it's been obviously very frustrating what's happened, and I don't want to beat on the guy too much because you know obviously thrown into a situation that is not ideal for him. And it certainly is not ideal for the Baltimore Ravens to have him at quarterback right now at, at this point in the season. Right. But, you know, it's, it's certainly not the situation that, that anyone would have chosen. We didn't want to come into a game against our most hated division rival without quarterback one, wide receiver one or wide receiver two. It's just the hand that that was dealt. Yeah, very much so. Let me go back to packages for a second, pick on a couple other things here. Um, the base package, when the Ravens got that in there, they actually didn't play much base. And remember, base is three down linemen and two outside linebackers. The Steelers played jumbo against the Ravens, four down linemen and two outside linebackers. So this base, the Ravens only got to play that 13 times in this game, but they held the Steelers to 2.2 yards per play when they did, 13 uh, plays for 28 yards. Um, the aggregate of nickel snaps is where it really broke down. And the Ravens, everything else they played besides base and one jumbo snap was a nickel snap. And those various types of nickel they played. They played a big nickel. They played they played everything was big nickel, frankly, because they had three safeties on the field. But they played a variety of other nickels. They played a rush nickel. They played a, a jumbo nickel where they, they put an extra lineman and they took out a, a um, uh, an inside linebacker. Uh, and they took an outside linebacker off the field and kept two inside linebackers in, in some of their nickel situations. They played a variety of stuff. It didn't as, as a general rule, it did not work and it did not stop the run effectively because that's where they allowed 6.0 yards per play. And that's overall passes and runs on those plays. I have two questions for you. And the first is what is rush nickel? Okay. Rush nickels is a 
one, two, three nickel, where the one is one defensive lineman, the three is three outside linebackers. So you, you effectively have a kick in outside linebacker at the line of scrimmage as part of a four man rush. And then you have only, um, uh, you have two inside linebackers still. That's the two. Kind of a race car then, like with a with so an edge rusher bumping it's, inside. It's 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 one step away from the race car. The race car is four outside linebackers. The, okay. the rush nickel is three. Okay. Yeah, you'd make you'd make one of two exchanges to get to race car from there. But go ahead. Gotcha. My second question is, um, what personnel package from the Steelers' offense? were the Ravens responding to, to play so much nickel? Did the, did the Steelers play a lot of three wide receiver sets? Um, they, they certainly played some, and they played a whole lot in the first game. Um, but I did not count that. Uh, it's available for public, for people who want to know this, by the way, there's a great website out there. You should know about it's NFL faster and it's out there. If it, they actually have a participation by play file, that will show you every single down how many wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends they had among their five um, eligible receivers. And that's where I usually go to get that information. So I don't have the answer for you now, but I'm telling you where to get it. And sometime during this offseason, we're going to go to NFL Faster and look through that file in an episode. And I hope people will, 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 would want to tune in for that. But, but leave a comment if you would like to see an episode like that where you really learn about data sources, because I'm thinking of an entire series this off season where we look through like one episode at a time at, you know, pro football reference at what's on the NFL GSIS site at, you know, what's on these other various sites that you can get at it. Something like NFL faster probably needs about five episodes because it's such a volume of data there uh, that you get that football outsiders be another one. They've got tremendous stuff. That might be three episodes. You know, you, 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 you spend just on that. So uh, anyway, I, w- I want people to know if that's something they'd like to see this offseason. You're, you're nodding your head. So Jim would like to see it. Uh, you're on mute, my friend, which I do appreciate if you're going to be crinkling stuff. You're on mute. <laughs> I, uh, I I use PFR and Football Outsiders all the time. I've never used um, Fast R. Uh, I'm not an R programmer, so I've never really uh dived into the um kind of the skill set necessary to make the most use of that is gsis um is that proprietary is that uh it's available it's available it's it's got it's got a fake password protection to it but the secret double secret password is use the user id nfl and the password nfl and you're in Hmm. okay so airtight security there (laughs) so anyway if you go to if you go to the uh nfl gsis Click into that. Use NFL, NFL. You're inside. It might make ask you to accept some parameters or some cookies or something like that. But there's no nothing. It doesn't. It's not not ad based at all. And then you go into the site. There, it contains the game books for every game, so you can look at these as a primary tool for people to who do any sort of analysis to look back at the games and 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 uh, uh, you know look at the plays they want to sort out and what not to look at. All right. Uh, Jim, uh, really appreciate uh, doing the show with you on a night like this. Obviously, we want to uh, mention two things right now. The first is that we're that we are still hoping for the best. And I have not heard an update since we started recording uh, on the situation with Demar Hamlin, but we are hoping for the best. Um, and uh, Jim, tell folks where they can find you and talk, fo- talk football with you online. Well, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, zip underscore Jim uh, on Twitter, or you can find me if you look for the likes of any of Ken's uh, podcast posts. That's uh, an easy way to find me. Uh, And for those of us who are afraid that Twitter might be going away, I'm uh, probably migrating to Mastodon, maybe, or at least setting up a lifeboat there for Ravens fans. uh, So that that should be available shortly. That sounds like a great idea. Jim, I want to talk to you about other possibilities of whether it's a Discord server or whatever it might have to be if if the if the escalation gets any greater at Twitter in terms of what's going on. So uh, that's uh, certainly something to consider. Uh, Jim, thanks again for coming on. Other folks out there, if you'd like to talk about a film study short anytime, I'm always interested in hearing from people, uh, whatever the topic may be. If you're passionate about it, I want to talk to you about it. If you've got data, that's fantastic. If you just got a theory, that's fantastic. And the only requirement I have is it, it really needs to be an adult conversation. We're not here to insult each other. It's just, I'm not hot take radio here we're np the npr 
of uh, Raven's <laughs> content available. So we're, we're here to have a, have a reasonable back and forth conversation. Like most people can say a, a, a good, good actuary can see either side of the argument. And I, I, I'd like to think I'm that way. So let's, uh, let's just have a reasonable discussion about things. Uh, so not so know, much first take more, all things considered. There you go. There you go. Jim, thanks again for coming on. Ken, thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 